You're listening to Were You Still Talking? Hey, welcome to another Were You Still Talking? This is Joel Albrecht, as usual, and on the show today, I have Ricardo Martinez II. He's a storyteller, author, and the host and creator of Within the Trenches, another podcast. True stories from the 911 dispatchers who lived them. A podcast based on the experiences of being a 911 dispatcher. He's a former 911 dispatcher and supervisor of 13 years and is now the head of Within the Trenches Media. With 22 years of public safety experience, in August of 2016, Ricardo started the I Am 911 movement that spread from the United States to Canada to the UK and Australia. Its popularity and success has brought the thin gold line into the spotlight and opened the eyes of millions to what 911 dispatchers deal with on a daily basis. Ricardo, welcome to the program. It's really a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. I'm, I'm excited. I'm a little nervous as well, but I'm definitely excited. Yeah, it is so. It's so weird, isn't it, that we get nervous going on a podcast when we right? <laughs> you've done five hundred podcasts. That's, that's I know. A lot. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's interesting. But you know, being on this side and everything, and I do public speaking as well. So mm-hmm. I was I was telling my wife before this, uh, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, most people are okay with it. Most people, mm-hmm. <laughs> most people go away unscathed. I won't yeah. say everyone, but most people. Um, well, this is good. So, the, you know, the first thing I should ask you, as I was reading the intro for the third time, I uh, realized that uh, I don't know what the thin gold line is. What is that? What for, so for us that don't know, what is that? Yeah, so that's basically like the the designation for nine one one dispatchers, nine one one professionals. So for uh, public safety officers, you know, law enforcement officers, you've they're the thin blue line. And then you've got the thin red line. So you've got all these different lines that designate uh, public safety. Dispatch is considered the thin gold line or that glue that holds everyone together is how I've, I've read it before. Oh, excellent. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I assumed that, but I wasn't, I, I wanted to make sure that that's what it was. I'm playing in the background with my um, stuff. There we go. <laughs> I'm always messing around with the views because they uh, <laughs> like to change them up. Um, and you, uh, so you interview people for one, I'm, I'm really impressed with the, anyone who's had done 500 episodes of a podcast and uh, it's been pretty successful. It, it appears. And you, uh, do you have a team that helps you with that? Is this all on your own or do you have, a, uh, yeah, so it's, than... yeah, it's, it's just me. So, just, yeah. uh, in the beginning though, however, so all of this really, it, it started from my own struggle in dispatch. So, you know, I started dispatching in 2001, but you know, when I very first started, there wasn't any talk about any resources or even, you know, you're going to be dealing with some hard calls, but not how to deal with those calls, you know, the, the self-care, nothing like that. So it was all just kind of learning on the job. And so I, I did it for four years. I started out in uh, central Florida. I just actually, I went to visit family for a couple of weeks ended up staying there for that time and and started my dispatching career there now i ended up moving back home to southwest michigan and i continued my dispatching career in the county actually that i grew up in so during the time that i was there i kind of hit a burnout um i was starting to have some issues with some of the calls that i was taking 
And as, as we all know, you know, there's, there's a stigma with, you know, mental health and asking for help. You know, people don't want to look weak and it has changed a lot now, but back then not a lot of us were talking about it. So everything that I do now, uh, especially the podcast, it started from my own struggle and I didn't want anybody else to have to go through the same type of struggle that I did where I didn't have a lot of people to talk to, but also I buried those calls. Well, I would take a hard call, would bury it. You know, someone would say, are you okay after that call? And I would immediately say, of course, yeah, I'm fine. Because I didn't want anyone to think, well, Ricardo can't hack it, you know? And I would come home and I would tell my wife about it and she doesn't come from public safety. So she's just kind of there looking at me. What do, what do I do? You know, <laughs> come here for a hug. You know, that's basically, you know, how that would go down. But I finally stopped caring about what people would think about me, uh, about me asking for help is, is what I mean. And I started sharing my stories. I went back to school and all of my projects that I was doing in college had to do with 911 because realize people don't know what dispatchers do they don't it's it's not just a phone call that comes in there's more to it so i would go to get my hair cut and people would ask what do you do and i would sit there thinking should i say what i do because there's wow, i say that wow. because there's always that question of what is the worst call you've ever taken and you know sometimes i would think why do you want to know that you know i don't want to really relive that myself so i would always tell a funny story instead or something maybe outrageous you know like for example someone on stilts walking naked back and forth in front of someone's living room window you know that type of call oh, i would man. mention <laughs> right yeah and, and that that wasn't a call that i took i was actually there when one of my partners took the call and we were trying to figure out, you know, what more is going on here. So, you know, those were more of the calls that we would, that I would tell people, but I thought, you know, instead of wondering why, uh, you know, that, that part of it, why don't I take this as a chance to educate the public and start sharing what it is that we do. So I started blogging about it. That's where within the trenches started was a blog. And I just started sharing my calls, my side of that call because I was there. I was there with that person. Right. And right. Uh, I, I wanted to, to share what that was like. I wanted people to know exactly what it was all about and how a lot of those calls stick with me. And, uh, you know, the screams, people asking for help, uh, help rather the, the, the calls for help. And, you know, people who have also passed away while on the phone with me. So that's what I started doing. And it ended up turning into this podcast. And I thought, because it was therapeutic for me to write about it, if I can get other dispatchers to come on and share their stories, maybe it would be therapeutic for them as well, but also it would educate the public and the rest of those who are out in the field, whether it be police, fire, EMS, or whichever other 911 professionals, they would learn from it and we would be able to connect and relate that way. Oh, that's fantastic. I really, I, I like the, um, the whole idea. I mean, I think it's kind of, well, it's really brave to do. It's, it is a good way to do therapy because I know as a podcaster, it's really therapeutic. Um, but blogging about it as well, you know, kind of getting it out there. And I think most of us in the, the uh, civilian world, 
really don't have a clue of what 911 dispatchers are doing. I worked with someone who did that for a short time. And, you know, it's not like she said anything about it. Um, but, it, yeah, it, it's something I, it, I think people don't think about it much because mm-hmm. um, it, it can be definitely, it can be tough. That's got to be really hard. Uh, you know, I've known people, uh, I had a brother-in-law in law enforcement, but he worked in a, in a uh, county jail the whole time. So it's, he hears all the stories too. But yeah, it really, and you're kind of on, like you were saying, you're really on both sides of the call, right? I mean, because you're dispatching for the call and you're talking to the person that's getting, that needs to help, that needs something done. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of those, uh, those folks that are calling in, I mean, we are just complete impasse where we're putting ourselves in the caller's shoes so that we can relate to a lot of what is going on to get that information to quickly build that rapport with that caller to gain that trust so they can answer all of our questions and you know a a lot of times people would ask why do you ask so many questions why don't you just send help and i would say well what you don't know is by the second question Especially if there's something, if it's an open line and we're just listening to what's going on in the background, the officers are already headed that way. Help is already headed out there. And a a lot of times we would tell people, you know, the second or third question in, help is already starting that way so that they would know. But, you know, we have to ask all of these questions so that the responders that are headed that way, they know exactly what's going on. If anything happens, we can continue to update them and update them. And if we happen to lose that person on the call, we have to immediately call back. You know, we have to put it in the narrative, just lost the caller. Then we got to call back and hope that they pick up that phone. Oh, and wow. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that, I mean, that's giving me goosebumps right now because I'm, I'm right. remembering a lot of that because there were moments especially back then. Now it's a lot easier. There's more technology where you can like pinpoint someone's location. But if someone is calling on a cell phone, especially back then when I was in, and I say back then, but this was even, you know, 2010, 2011, um, location stuff with cell phones wasn't that great. So if you have someone calling in and you've got the phone number, but they don't know their address and you just happen to lose them, there's a process of trying to get back to them or trying to find them. And that weighs heavy on all of us. Oh my gosh, I can imagine. And from listening to your other podcasts, I I realize that there are pro- that it, that probably the same thing is true going the other way. Well, you realize, well, I don't need to call anybody because they want movie times or something. They, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there yeah, believe it or not, for those who are listening, there have been wow. people who would call on 911 to say I, this is not an emergency. I apologize for calling 911, but I didn't have the number for the non-emergency line. And, you know, sometimes if someone is calling in and it's not busy, you know, of course, we'd go ahead and help them. Or we would say, here's the non-emergency line. Call me back on that line so that you're not tying up an emergency line. They're going to get me either way, right? But uh, they would call in to say, can you tell me what time the parade starts today? Or... Do you know if such and such city is doing trick or treating after all? Oh my I'm, god! I'm I'm not Google, but I will. I'll help yep. you. <laughs> I will, I'll definitely help you. So we would have uh, just a, a sheet of paper 
we would have it written down if for you know that day was you know the fourth of july or there was a parade going on for memorial day or something and someone would call you know we would have it listed so we could say right away however if things are going crazy at the time we would just have to say i'm sorry i can't help you right now you're gonna have to either look it up online or or call back later so sometimes that's how that would go down as well right right wow wow um which is i lost my question now i had <laughs> i had something related <laughs> related to this but i can't quite remember you said sometimes you're busier what size of um what size of a area were you working in what so when like I very now I I don't have the, the you know the complete numbers or anything like that but when I very first started and I can put it this way this was a, a small sleepy town in central Florida not mm -hmm. a lot of people have heard the name of it but it's called Frostproof so again central Florida it's about 35 40 minutes southeast and southwest of uh Tampa and Orlando so you from either city you go central you'll find it and pe most people would know like lakeland winter haven or anything like that and it's close to there so this city uh we had probably about 12 officers sworn officers uh -huh. that were working for the city and that's including the sergeant lieutenant and the chief and the city had two traffic lights and, and and a McDonald's and a grocery store. Wow. <laughs> so if you can imagine, it's a small town, right? But when I moved back to Southwest Michigan, there's over 100,000 people. This is the area that we had in, in Allegan County, and I'm sure it's a lot higher. So if anybody's listening from Allegan, I apologize. But uh, there would be three of us that would work for the entire county. And we've got, we have several cities and you've got your sheriff's department, you've got uh, city police, and then you've got all the fire departments as well as EMS. So there's three of us. If you think about that, there's Whoa, three of us during the week. Yeah, yeah. that seems pretty nuts. Uh, right. Yeah. Uh, on the weekend, there would be four of us. And if there was bad weather, then we would have a fifth person come in. But you've got one person on phones, one person on main radios, and then you've got one person who's doing backup phones and radios, but they're also the person who is running... Uh, warrants, license checks, and all of that. So if I'm the only one on phones at the at that time, even though I have the backup, but if they're doing something else, I'm doing triage style with phone calls. If it's going crazy, I'm taking phone calls, typing what's going on at the same time, answering the radio for fire or EMS, listening to what's going on in the background, but also maybe yelling something over across the room to whoever's on radios, still typing in, what it is that needs to go into that narrative but yelling it over so that they have it even faster and all of this is happening at one time but 911 doesn't stop so it's not just one emergency these are constant this is all the time wow that's that's yeah, yeah that sounds well it sounds exciting but <laughs> really <laughs> really nuts and it it, it kind of helps me it helps us realize why whenever you call a, a doctor's office or a dentist's office or any medical office it says if this is an emergency dial 911 otherwise yes you know it, i just i find that interesting now that every single call they get that um but now we also have is it 988 Yes. Yes. Nine eight eight. So there's 
There's 988 as well. That's for the, uh, the the suicide hotline. It's basically what it is now. Instead of the the long you know ten digit number that they had before, now just like 911, there are three digits that someone will be able to call and uh, get help that way as well. And if it's if it's something to where they need 911, they're able to get a hold of 911 and then just come together for that specific call. Oh, I see. I see. Mm-hmm. But that seems like a, that just seems like a huge thing to me because we've gone from, like you said, nobody wanting to talk about mental illness to now having um, a faster way for people to get help. Because uh, right. yeah, I, I know that's a big thing is that most people in that situation don't get help. And that's, that's why we lose a lot of people, especially in the last, I know recently it's been worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, with, with that, you know, that specifically, there's a lot of people who would, would say, you know, when, when is the most busy time? And a lot of times, especially for that specifically, you know, those who are calling in who just, they don't, they don't want to live anymore. It's always around the holidays. You would think, you know, the holidays are the most happy time, you know, families coming together, November, Thanksgiving, you've got Christmas, you've got those two main ones, right? However, there's a lot of people who are not with their family. You know, there's people that are alone. And during those times, that's a lot of times when people are the most depressed. And sometimes people will call in just so that they can talk. You know, they oh, just yeah. they just need someone to talk to. They they right. want help, and we do everything we can to get that help for them. It really makes sense to me because there's so much. The holidays have so much pressure. I mean, mm-hmm. even if you do have family, you're getting together with. There's a whole lot of pressure sometimes to have everything right. You know, to to do the uh, the Hallmark Christmas deal, and then oh, right. <laughs> and and then there's everything on everything in media. All media is pushing how great Christmas is, and isn't this wonderful? Well, not all, You know, not necessarily. And uh, you also might not be a person who celebrates Christmas. On top of that, so. But yeah, right. I, I can imagine that can be a really lonely time. So I've, I've heard that before, that Christmas is one of the, the hardest times for people who, um, you know, have issues with depression and loneliness. Because it, it, they just push how you should be doing all this stuff. But then if you're not, it, it's not very helpful. Yeah, very you're helpful just, at all. You're, you're left out. Is right. Basically how it goes down. Yeah, yeah. You're just left out. Um, so now... Uh, how did you come up with the um, I am nine one one? It's it's a the hashtag I am nine one one. So when did yeah. that come about? And that I mean that sounds like a really good thing. So that was twenty sixteen uh, when I had started that. I was already out of dispatch. It was probably it was twenty thirteen that I left dispatch. This was around the time that I had really started pushing the podcast. There was a, a private 911 Solutions company that actually found me through the podcast and plucked me out of dispatch, and uh, I started working for them. Oh, and wow. they great. were a, they were a supporter of what I do, which was you know sharing these important stories, these powerful stories. So they continued supporting the podcast while I was working for them. I became their communications director, and I was going around to different 911 conferences and uh, doing presentations for them but also doing the podcast, having attendees of the conference come on and share stories. Now, during the time that I was out there, 
there was two main known organizations that were they were trying to work a reclassification for 911 professionals. And the reason for that is because 911 professionals are currently listed under the clerical class versus the protective class with police, fire, and EMS. So they were trying to do this reclassification, both of these organizations. However, there wasn't a lot of traction. I guess I'll put it that way. There wasn't a lot Mm -hmm. of traction. So what I wanted to do was try to raise some awareness, try to help them out. But I wanted to do it in a different way. I wanted to do it dispatch style. I wanted it to be raw and in your face. And I had already been sharing stories for a while. And I noticed that both organizations were looking for stories. Now, what I wanted to do was share stories, but I wanted people to share them through my outlet to not confuse people with, with what they were doing. I mean, it was the same thing in a sense, but this was going to be a little bit more, like I said, in your face than what they were doing, but it was all to raise awareness for the, the same cause. So 2016, it's an evening after one of the national conferences, and I'm sitting there just kind of thinking and thinking, and I thought, you know, there have been a lot of calls that I've taken in the past, and a lot of those have stuck with me. What if I was to just share a glimpse, just a glimpse into one of those calls, but also one of the things that we deal with in dispatch is we don't always get closure and that always sticks with us. So why don't I add that in there as well? Just a short blurb of a story that doesn't have the entire story. It doesn't, you don't get that closure from it, but I want to put it out there and just see what happens. So. I ended up creating a meme and it had a, it had a full moon and the, what it had on there was, I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four wheeler and hashtagged it on there. I am nine on one. The reason I did it that way is one, I'm, I'm claiming that call is the call that I took. Right. But to me, it's also another form of communication where these people that I took this call for for their child that this accident happened, I'm never going to meet them. However, if they were to happen to read this story, they would know that somebody was there with them throughout that entire time until the phone call ended, that I was there with them. And I put it out there. I put it on the podcast page on, on Facebook, and I asked others to do the same thing. Let's raise awareness this way to show the difference between emergency dispatchers, clerical workers, and commercial dispatchers. And it exploded. I ended up leaving my in-laws house. Again, I was in Florida at the time, and I was, I was with my son, and we were going to my mother's home. We were going there to have dinner, and it's only about a 10-minute drive. And my phone starts exploding with notifications. And my son says to me, dad, what did you do? And <laughs> I, I said, I think I struck a chord. I posted something it was, on social media. Right. Yeah, that was how, how many wow. were going through. And it got to the point where the, like the app wasn't sending me notifications anymore. So people started sharing their stories and they started coming in and coming in and coming in. And... What started out 
as a way to raise awareness for reclassification quickly turned into peer support. Because what I found out was all of these 911 professionals that were sending in these stories, a lot of them were saying that they had been holding on to these calls forever. One person specifically wrote saying that their hands were still shaking after typing out the story, but that they were so grateful for the I am 911 movement that they were able to get it out that now they had an outlet because these stories were all anonymous. And I think one of the things that really set it off was I ended up posting later on saying, if you don't know how to create a meme to, to submit this story, simply send me the text and I will do it. And it exploded even more from there. I had to get friends to come on to be admin to help with this. And, uh, you know, wow. even, even like with the whole uh, podcast, you know, in the beginning, I, I had started it by episode five. I brought on someone as a co-host and uh, her name is Whitney. She was actually, I was her supervisor at the time in dispatch. She's now the deputy director at the center that we used to work at. But uh, I, I ended up moving to Fort Wayne. She stayed in Michigan, so she will always be my, my co-host. But I ended up moving on and continuing to do all this. So, you know, the movement, you know, it started there, 2016, to raise awareness. But again, quickly turned into peer support. And people were sharing stories all over the world. It was in Canada. Then it was in the UK. They did their own as I am 999. And then Australia was I am 000 or I am triple zero. So all of these stories ended up coming up. And I'm still sharing stories from about September of 2016. These stories come in almost daily sometimes. And I put them out as fast as I can. Wow, that that's, that's really amazing. I, I mean... I, it's hard enough being around someone if they're taking their last breath, someone you know, but to have that, but to be on the phone with them and it's really a stranger and then you don't have any, you don't really know what happens. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, it, so you must, I mean, there must be times when you don't know if it was their last breath or if, or if it just sounded like it. Um, maybe you get follow. do you even get follow up from uh, emergency crews? Do they follow up or do, does, do you often get kind of left wondering? Because that, so, that's got to be so hard. I, yeah, so hard. the the majority of the time, you know, we're in the dark. So we don't know. And And you're right. It could be a call where we thought we lost the person and we end up finding out later the person made it. And man, that feeling, I can't even explain it. It's... I can only explain it as, you know, opening up a Christmas present, you know, and, and finding something so amazing and you're so happy. And, and this is a life, you know, you find out that this person is alive after you've gone home. For me, I lived about 40, 45 minutes away from dispatch. So some nights I would take some of these hard calls and not knowing what was going on, I would drive home in silence, just trying to decompress, but yet still hearing and picturing everything because for those out in the field responding they get to see all of this for me i have to put these pieces together from what i'm listening to and sometimes it's worse than what it is now there have been times where i've actually had the chance to have someone tell me what happened and i felt better 
-hmm. but also, you know, a lot of times we take this stuff really hard where you start asking, did I ask enough questions? What if I would have changed my questioning? What if I would have done this? Or what, what if I would have done this? And every time there's nothing else that you can do. I mean, you're on the phone, you know, and one call specifically had to do with uh, an infant that did not make it. And I'm giving the mother CPR instructions and we're going through and going through and going through. And that was one that really messed me up. And my supervisor at the time, at this time, I wasn't a supervisor, but my supervisor was sitting next to me and she asked me if I was okay. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure. I'm fine. And she knew I wasn't fine. And especially as the, the, the hours were going on, her husband was actually a sergeant that was out there in the call and she asked him to come in and he sat, he comes in and he sat next to me and he said, are you okay? And I said, no, man, actually I'm not. Okay. I said, I know she knows that that's why you're here. <laughs> mm. So one of the good things though, was before he came in, someone from EMS called up. Now, after a lot of these calls, EMS or fire will call up for their, their run number and their times. And, and we might get a chance to ask if we have time, what happened on that call? So EMS calls in, asks for the person who took the call. Now, again, the infant didn't make it. And I get on the phone and they said, Ricardo, I just want you to know that when we got on scene, they were doing textbook CPR and there was nothing else that you could have done. You did everything that you could do. And that right there was one of the things that I needed to know <laughs> because that sticks with me. Did I do enough? You know, there was no longer any questions or anything. It was, I did do enough. You know, they, they told me they got there, they were doing textbook CPR. So then when the sergeant shows up, he told me exactly what happened. And I was okay after that. That's what I needed. I, that's one of the things that I needed was to know that I had done everything I could for those folks that were calling in for help. That's uh, yeah, that's amazing because that's another thing that I don't really think about. I guess I just assume that you would get follow up, you know, from people that um, that were doing it. Right? It's yeah. just an assumption. <laughs> yeah, but of course not. Of course, that doesn't always happen. So um, you do the podcast. You do. Mm -hmm. You were doing blogging before that. Have you gotten other forms of help for handling the, you know? the mental part of it have you been able to are there groups that actually do you get together with other people to talk about it or do you have counseling about it have you found other ways to try and help yourself and and others with with dealing with this yeah so for for me i uh i'll be honest i i've not actually gone to a therapist myself to talk about a lot of this because you know for me once i started writing about all of it once I started talking about all of it, that was basically my therapy. And every time I've done an episode and I've talked to someone, I've been able to get it out that way. Now, there is a question that I ask some of my own guests at the end. And that, that the one question always is, 
if you could go back in time with the knowledge that you have now to talk to yourself in the beginning, what advice would you give yourself? And that comes from me asking myself and it was just, it was interesting. And I, I wanted to ask others to see what, what they would say. So for me, if I could go back in time, I would get more into one yoga <laughs> and, and two meditation because the last year and a half, I got into both of these and that was therapeutic for me as well. Those breathing techniques helped me while on a tough call. I was able to keep myself centered and even more calm than I was before. You know, a, a lot of people, you know, you hear sometimes on recordings, right? In the news, you hear dispatch on a recording and they sound like, sometimes people sound like they don't care. You know, it'll right. be in the comments of a, of a news story or something like, they shouldn't be there. They don't care. Listen to their voice. No, the voice is even because even though we are calm, cool, and collected, in the back of our minds, we're right there with that caller. Yeah. We're freaking out with them, but it's yeah. our job to keep everyone calm all at the same time. So with all of that, you know, what I ended up doing was, especially with the I Am 91 movement, is I created this session, which is a peer support session, and it's called Imagine Listening. And I had all the attendees at this one conference. I started it in Indiana. And the attendees that were there, what I wanted to do was to share more I Am 91 stories, but this would be with a live audience. This was also a part of the podcast. There's episodes on there. There's no names, no nothing. It's their voices. What I wanted them to do is to be able to be in an environment where they could share their calls. It could be a save or one of the hard ones that they've been holding on to. And that was therapeutic for all of those that were in there. Now, when I did it that first time, though, I didn't know how it was going to go down. I actually had a friend of mine sitting next to me and he looks at me and he goes, bro, how do you think this is going to happen? Or how do you think it's going to go down? I said, I have no idea, but let's see. Hopefully this works out. And I explained what we were going to be doing. The, it was an hour. It's an hour session. So the first 30 minutes, imagine listening. We share our own I am 911 stories, whether it be in that form of I was the one who took this call or I was there, or you just simply share your call. Just share a story. Again, it could be a save as well. But the last 30 minutes is open mic, and that's where we share the funny stuff that happens in 911. So we start out emotionally intense, right? And then we end with some of the funnier calls. Because it's not about, you know, the, the callers, like nobody's, you know, making fun of anybody who's calling in. It's the situation. So like the one that I mentioned a moment ago, you know, somebody would share a story saying, yeah, I took a call once where this guy was in his living room and out his living room window, he saw a, a, another guy who was naked and on stilts and kept walking back and forth. You know, that's, it's that humor that happens because, you know, sometimes you get these calls that come in and you think, is this real life? Yes, it is. <laughs> this stuff happens. Kind of weird stuff. So oh, many, yeah. So many strange things happen in life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Very much yeah. so. You know, I, I had I had someone call in once where, uh, so, and I can never remember what it's called, but they, they, they use one of those machines to press on their neck to be able to speak, right? And they, 
they sound kind of robotic, you know, like, hello, you know, that's how, that's Mm -hmm. how they sound. Mm -hmm. So this was a, just a a verbal domestic call. It was an argument between my caller and their daughter. And immediately when I say 911, where's your emergency? I hear, I need help. And immediately I thought, what? This is not the voice that I was expecting. Okay. You know, we continue going through it. And I, I, I kept saying the person's first name which was Carl and kept going, you know, Carl, Carl, you know, Carl, this Carl, that, well, by the end of the call, when the officers got there, Carl had had enough because Carl ends up saying to me, my name is not Carl. It's Carol. This thing makes me sound like a man. Ha ha ha. (laughs) And I just, I, I said, I'm so sorry, but also I, I had to, I had to laugh oh with God. Carol. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least Carol was laughing. That's great. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes. She, she, she wonderful. had a very good sense of humor, <laughs> 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 but that's some of the stuff that happens. So that, yeah. that session is therapeutic in many ways by getting some of those harder calls out, but also laughing is good medicine. And it's these situations that people end up in that sometimes you like i said you would never think is something that would happen but also the moment you think you've taken the most outrageous call something like that another one comes in and takes the cake <laughs> <laughs> and uh so how how did you what made you think this would be a good career how did you get started in this and why how what made you decide to be a 911 dispatcher because that that I is kind a difficult of, job. Yeah, you know, I kind of fell into it, really. I do, a lot of people, like, there's there's people that I've spoken to who have said, you know, I come from public safety family, you know, and oh, right, my right. father was an officer or a firefighter or whichever. Not me. When <laughs> when I when I ended up moving uh, or, or going to visit uh, in Florida, I only had retail management under my belt at the time. You know, I... I Managed a clothing store in a mall. I also managed a video store. For those who are listening, that's dating me. A video store. <laughs> well, so did Quentin you, Tarantino. So, you you know, you're in good That's company. right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. And in the video store that I managed for, there's only one left in the world. And I believe it's in Alaska. <laughs> oh, Blockbuster? Yeah, Blockbuster. Uh, as far as I know, there's still one here in Bend, Oregon. It, oh, it was, for real? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. It oh, was... well, awesome. Well, there you go. There's two then. <laughs> that is excellent. So yeah. So that's where. So that's that's what I had under my belt was a lot of that type of experience, just retail management. So while I'm in Florida, that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a job in in retail because that's that's what I knew and I had that mm-hmm. management experience. And you know, before that, my mom had said to me, you know, you think you might want to look for a job, and I said, oh. There you go. Okay. Yes. I apologize. Yes. You know, I'm about 19, right? I'm 19. So I'm I'm looking for a, a job. I couldn't find anything. And just out of the blue, she says, you know, your 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 cousin's husband knows the chief of police. And I'm just kind of staring at her, like, okay. Did did something happen? <laughs> and she goes, Well, we were talking, and uh she said that they're hiring dispatchers now. The only thing I knew about 911 was one of my most favorite shows growing up, which was Rescue 911 with William Shatner. And that's that's all I knew. 
And so I, I said, you know what? I'll try it. I, I have no idea what this is all about, but I'll go ahead and try it. And I, I called, got an interview, went in. I thought the interview went great. And then I didn't hear from them for about two months. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I didn't get the job. And then one day um, I was I was getting ready to lay down to take a nap. And my grandmother comes into the room and she starts yelling at me in Spanish. And she's telling me the police are here. The police are here. Uh-huh. And she goes, what did you do? And I said, what? <laughs> I said, I didn't do anything. And she goes, you need to get out there and figure out what's going on. So I go outside and it's the chief of police. And I said, oh, hey, chief. Because again, this is a small city. Mm-hmm. And I only live down the road. I didn't live far, maybe five minutes or so from the police department. And he goes, hey, Ricardo, I just, I just wanted to... See if you still wanted the job. And I said to him, well, of course I do, but I just, I didn't think I, I got it. It's been about two months or so. And he goes, well, our background checks take a long time, but, uh, we, we really liked you and we would like to, we would like for you to, to come with us, you know, be one of us and, uh, you know, join the department, be dispatch. And I said, okay, now. You know, a lot of times when you're about to start a new job, uh, you know, they sometimes will say, well, you start next Monday or, you know, take the weekend or whatever. Right. And right. and that's what I had. That's what I had asked. I said, so do I start next week? And he goes, you start tonight. Oh, my what? gosh. And, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, and, usually I don't think the chief of police usually shows up to uh, to give you the job in most cities. True. I don't, yes. I don't think that's usually how it's done. But yeah, no, but but this one, it did. <laughs> And, and I, I said, really tonight? And he goes, you want the job, don't you? You still want the job? And I said, no, no, no. I, yes. I, I apologize. I do. You know, I, I do want the job still. And he goes, okay. He goes, you start tonight, midnight shift, 10 P to six A. And I said, okay. So he left. I go back in the house, explain to my grandma what happened. And I go to, to take that nap. I go in that night and I walk in and I meet my, my trainer. And uh, he shows me everything. And of course, I'm just in shock, like, wow, this is this is great. It's really cool. You know, I'm I'm here. I'm gonna do this. And he takes a 911 call. I observe, and once he's done, he turns around and looks at me and says, You're next. Oh. And I said, What? Wow. Number two and, call of the night. Here it is. Yeah, I, I thought he was joking. I thought he was joking, right. but then he just stone cold look and looks at me and says, no, I'm serious. He goes, this is the only way you're going to learn is by doing the job. And I, I remember standing there and I said, there's nothing else. Like there's no other, other training or anything. And he goes, you'll have some training. He goes, but this is how we're going to start. And basically what he had said was there's, you know, there's three things that you need. One is to have some thick skin to common sense and three is to be human. And that's always stuck with me. And I'm sitting there sweating, waiting for this first call to come in because I mean, it's nine one one. You don't know what it's going to happen. You don't know what's going to, to come in. That first call comes in nine one one. Where's your emergency? And I hear, Oh, uh, it was, that was a mistake. This was a butt dial. And Oh, Thank the <laughs> Lord. <laughs> okay, you're up again. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was it was kind of calls like that. And the uh-huh. following week I actually ended up taking a 40 hour 
uh, beginner's dispatching course. So there was more training to it. Okay. Those first few nights, Ooh. it was whoop, thrown into the lion's den. <laughs> well, it was interesting. A bit ago, you were talking about how you're one of the things is to be calm on a 911 yeah. call. And it, it, that reminds me of uh, airline dispatchers, too, because it's similar. I mean, they are dispatchers, mm-hmm. but it's the same thing. You know, if they have a pilot who's engines have just gone out. They can't go, oh my God. Right. <laughs> you know, yes. You got to be kind of, you got to keep it together and talk like you've always, always been talking and, and whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. Especially because if you, if you get to know a lot of the people who are on the other side of the radio and it, it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. So for example, if I'm talking to an officer who his voice, that tone never changes, but when it does, you know something is happening and you're now where you know who do i send to them you know or you just say over the air you know such and such is in this location and you know they start responding already sometimes you don't even get the chance to key up because someone is already keying up saying i'm headed that way but for myself if they hear my voice go up a little higher then they know as well plus they can hear over the radio when i open up the the air they can probably hear all the lines going crazy, but if my voice goes up a little bit, they too know things are not going well in right. dispatch. Right. Think something something's off. So did right. you in a community that size, did you have officers that would get out um, you know, a a ways out from the nearest officer, nearest help? No, because, uh, you know, a lot of times there would be, uh, you know, you've got the, the sheriff's department, right? You've got deputies who are out there and there would be, I'm trying to think now, like five or six in these different sections, but also in those sections, you've got the state police and you also have city police. So there was always someone who was pretty close that could go and assist uh, if need be. There's only a few times that I can remember where it was a little bit before someone was going because there's some that are on another call and they're like, I'm trying to clear or I'm clearing and I'm heading there right now. And uh, the majority of the time, that's what it would be. I'm clearing right now, leaving Mm -hmm. this call, going to them. But you've got that time in between there where clock's ticking and there's something that's going on. And you're, you know, they're going that way. So you're sitting there with the rest of your crew in dispatch and just hoping and praying that they get there fast enough to, to be able to assist each other. So we're just, we're there. Yeah. That's another hard part. That's gotta be really rough. I, yeah. Waiting, waiting, yeah. Waiting for the, for the time to tick by. It's gotta be Mm -hmm. really tough. And you can only go so fast. I mean, you know, right. yeah. roads, roads aren't that gotta fast. Be, so. Right. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've got to, they're, they're going as fast as they can, but also within, you know, the, you know, the law, but also keeping themselves safe. Because if they, you know, if something ends up happening to them as they're getting there, you know, that creates even more, you know, that's that what is going on. But yeah, sometimes you're just, you're just kind of sitting in there. And there were a couple of times. Uh, that I remember specifically where I heard something that nobody ever wants to hear over the radio, whether it's in dispatch or those that are out on the road, the shots fired. Yeah. And you immediately, you know, for us, we would, we would call out 
and uh, over the radio that you know that that has happened we would call a certain code and all of the main that main traffic would stay on a channel and and the others would go to another channel so it's just for example if i'm the one who's on that main radio it's just it's me and everyone who is on that and every time something would come out i would repeat it give a time and it would type it in and it would just keep going and going and going until someone said to clear and uh you know everybody can resume normal traffic but for those moments even more so than taking a phone call those on the radio you're trying to get them help as fast as possible and everybody is getting there the adrenaline is going then afterwards you realize that your shoulders have been up the whole time and when you let them down ah oh, okay we can actually breathe now <laughs> oh man yeah yeah i can't uh, can't imagine really and i mean overall i even though even as stressful as it is was it is it something you are positive about you know and you oh, that you enjoyed sure. and you would yeah you'd have under people I, do it. i miss it i, I definitely miss, miss it. it yes i i miss it but when i so thinking back when i was going to leave it was it was a difficult decision mainly because i felt like i was betraying my own there in dispatch and it took a lot of conversation also for for one for me to to choose myself to choose what i was going to end up doing but also too because i realized that what i was going to end up doing or hoping to do was to change 911 as as it was and, and what i mean by that was sharing these stories because nobody was sharing these stories i mean there might be a couple stories here and there that were going out there but not in the way that I was doing it as part of the podcast or writing about it, doing, you know, these imagine listening sessions, the I am nine one movement, all of that stuff that, you know, ended up coming later. I, I ended up realizing that I, you know, I was going to be helping those that I worked with, but nine one one as a whole by doing what I was doing, because it, it, it seemed like for a long time, we weren't allowed to feel you would just take those calls, go to the next one. Take a call, go to the next one. You didn't have a chance to really decompress. If you did have a chance, we have what's called a quiet room. And you can go into this room and just sit on the couch. And it's it that's what it is. It's quiet in there. It's a quiet room. You just sit and chill with your thoughts and take a deep breath and you come right back in and you start taking those calls again. And it's not all doom and gloom. You know, there's a lot of good calls. There's a lot of good ones that I remember. Now, you know, when my grandmother passed away, I was the one who took that call. Oh, wow. wow. And it, yeah, it, that, it that's took... what I want to hear. What you're, I know that you do the podcast about the worst day. Yeah. So let's hear the best day. So, um, you know, besides that part with, you know, with my grandmother, you know, passing away and all, and, and, and me being the one to take that call, there were others where this one specifically that I have, and this was early on too, and this is when I'm back in Michigan working for the, uh, the county that I grew up in. It was wintertime, and a lady calls in, and she is just beside herself, just screaming, screaming, and I'm trying to get her location and what it is that is going on, and, and what happened was her children were sledding right and they were all trying to see 
who could get the furthest, you know, whoever got the furthest would win. Mm-hmm. The youngest mm-hmm. was the one who got the furthest. However, the youngest ended up sledding onto a pond and it was thin ice and it was, she was in the middle of the pond and nobody could get to her. And mom was afraid that she was going to go in. So she's calling. I'm keeping her as calm as possible. Already have help going out that way. And I get off the phone with her. And a little while later, we end up hearing over the radio, you know, we got her. We got her off. You know, she's safe. And that was one of the best moments. But what I wasn't expecting was a thank you. And the thank you was in the form of a newspaper ad. So it's, it's now the weekend and, uh, probably about a week or so later. And my supervisor that was working that shift, she's reading the local newspaper and says, Hey, who took this call? And of course, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's the last, last thing you want to hear from your supervisor, right? Right. Because <laughs> no, I'm not because I, I don't know. Yeah. Cause I knew she was reading the newspaper uh-huh. and, and she says that, and I, I said, what call? What, what call are you talking about? And then she starts talking about it a little bit. And I said, that was, that was my call. And what it was, was it was, it was the family thinking dispatch and all of the responders who went out there to help their daughter. And I still have that newspaper clipping from that time. It was 2007, maybe 2008, something like that. It was Pretty far back. <laughs> and, that's awesome, though. That, yeah, that's and, absolutely and I, awesome. Yeah, I I have that. You know, uh, just one more, really quick here. You know, I was just telling you about how you know a lot of times people call in and they just they don't they don't want to live anymore. And there was one evening that a lady called in, and she was suicidal, and she was telling me that she no longer wanted to live because she was dealing with a lot of back pain and neck pain to the point where it was so excruciating. She just didn't want to live anymore. And what she didn't know, and I'm a firm believer that some of these phone calls are meant for us because we might have some experience that others don't. Mm -hmm. And for this call specifically, what this person didn't know at the time was that I myself was dealing with a lot of neck and back pain. To the point where it was going up to like my, my temple, my eyeball. I mean, it was horrible and the doctors didn't know what to do. They, they didn't know what it was. They just kept telling me it was stress. I needed to be less stress. And I said to my doctor, do you know what I do for a living? And he goes, no. And I said, I'm a 911 dispatcher. And he goes, oh, well, I I guess you can't lose the stress that much. (laughs) And I said, oh, thanks, man. Yeah. So that's when I got into yoga. Now I had been, uh, my, my wife had been doing yoga and stuff for a long time. And she's like, you should try it. You should try it. And I said, no, because the moment I do a pose wrong, someone's going to make fun of me or whatever. Well, I was at the point where I just, I couldn't deal with the pain anymore. So I did yoga and the first, uh, session of yoga that I did, the pain was all gone. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yes, that's 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 how powerful it was. Yeah. And and I I still practice it today. So while I'm on the phone with this lady, I decided to tell her this because this is where you become human Mm -hmm. and you relate. And I thought, you know, what the heck? I'm just I'm going to give it a shot. 
I need to keep her on the phone, but also try to keep her mind off of what it was that she originally called for until help can get there. So I tell her about my back pain, my neck pain, and that I did yoga. And we were talking about yoga and help got there. And she said to me, thank you. I don't want to kill myself anymore because now there's another way. And when I got off the phone with her, I, I just, <clears throat> I just sat there and thought, man, uh, we really do make a difference. And every time I practice yoga now, I think of that person. We've had that connection. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, I've actually been there. I've had terrible pain problems that no one knew. Uh, yo nothing helped i wish yoga would have helped uh, eventually it subsided and it, mm -hmm. uh, yeah now i could probably do yoga <laughs> yeah. far enough along i could probably yeah. go start doing it but yeah that's amazing that's amazing and i actually while i was hearing that i'm curious when you get those calls you who do you send to that call do you send emts or you um you have any anyone yeah, in the four. area uh if it's you know if it's a call like that you think someone's going to take their life who ends so, up showing up when we end up taking those calls we are already sending out uh EMS and police that way and police will go out first and EMS will stage in the area and then they'll have them go in because if this is someone with a weapon you know, they, they need to secure the scene before EMS can go in just in case, you know, things go differently, right. Than, right. than what you, you, you want. Um, so those are the, those are the folks that end up going out first. And you've some, some areas have fire rescue where they end up going as well. Those are you know, volunteer and they're going, but they're still staging in the area. You know, they still have to stage in the area no matter what. And, uh, you know, PD will get out there secure you know find the person and uh talk through it and then you know they'll have ems come in now there's some times where you know people don't get that chance and they they end up doing it over the phone or they'll say you know i just wanted someone to find me or something and then they'll hang up oh yeah a lot of those times that yeah. you know it, it it doesn't turn out well but the ones that i've taken Especially this one where I believe during this time, there, there was a lot of factories that were closing down. You know, a lot of people were getting laid off and this person had gotten laid off. He lost his, lost everything. You know, his, his wife had left him as well. And he called up and he wanted to do a suicide by cop. He told me he had a rifle on him. Oh, and he told you that. Oh yeah. He yeah. He told, told me you that's this. what he wanted to do. Mm -hmm. He told me that this was exactly what he wanted to do. Now it wasn't right away. Wow. You know, I, I went through all the questioning and I said, oh, okay. we have people headed your way to help you and, you know, trying to, to negotiate, you know, for him to put the gun down and everything. And, uh, but once he heard that the, the people were headed that way, that's when he said, oh, I want to do, I'm, I'm going to do a suicide by cop. I, I don't deserve to live anymore because I've lost everything. And, was able to get him to, to put the gun down an officer went out there and as far as i know at least at that time he was he was okay he ended up being okay he just just really needed somebody to talk to and to let him know that things were going to be all right no matter what but that's mm -hmm. 
that's one of those where you know EMS was still staging in the area, but kind of far because you know this person had a weapon, right. and we had officers that were going to be headed that way as well. So you know the response still the same, but this one was a little more intense. Yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Wow. Wow. Now, one of the things as well with, uh, you know, with Imagine Listening and all is for all that time that I've been collecting stories, especially in the beginning, you know, people kept asking, and this was right off the bat too, are you going to turn this into a book? And I'd said to them, you know, maybe I, I, I want to see where this goes. So from 2016 up to just recently now, 2023, I had been collecting all of this stuff and I, I finally turned it into a book and it's of the same name as the session that I do at conferences, which is imagine listening. And it's the, the tagline is your worst day is our every day. Now on the cover, I talked about in the beginning where I asked people if, you know, with the stories, you know, it's been talking about that session. Well, what ended up happening with that is that you know nobody wanted to share a story, kind of what I thought was going to happen. Nobody wanted to share out loud. But what I did was I asked if any of you would like to write it down instead and hand it up, we'll read them for you. And immediately people started ripping pieces of paper and, and sharing paper and writing and writing and writing. And then it took one person to share a story out loud. And then more people shared and more people shared exactly how I had hoped that it was going to happen. So on the cover, you see some of these stories that were actually handwritten. These are the ones that were handed in during those sessions. But the meat of the book are the stories that were submitted in. Now, one of the things that happened with the movement as well was there were callers they were sending in their own stories, their side of a call. For example, someone saying, if it wasn't for this dispatcher, I might have killed myself this night. You know, basically, they're thanking dispatch for that. So there were so many stories that came in and continue to come in that now it's this is book one of a series of books. They're going to oh, highlight okay. these stories. Because I was thinking you're going to need a bigger book. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. This is that this is book seem one. Like enough. Okay. okay. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I'm relieved to hear that. <laughs> yes, this is That's book good. one, and you know, as I was I was telling you uh, just a little while ago about my grandmother, you know, page seven of this book is some of my personal I am nine one stories are in here, and page seven is the one that has to do with my grandmother. And if I could, I'd just read it here really quick. It's very short. It just says, you were with me from the beginning, Grandma. 27 years later, I took the 911 call when you died. How fitting to be there for me in the beginning. And I was there for you in the end. I miss you, Grandma. I am 911. That is, that is really a beautiful. It's, it's um, a beautiful sentiment. It's a beautiful story. And uh, I thank you for sharing it here. That's that's really awesome. That's thank really you for nice. the opportunity. Yeah, you're very welcome. Uh, we should. Uh, I guess I should think about wrapping it up. I always have a hard time <laughs> ending a podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes you know the conversation like? you just continue, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I could, we could just keep going, but right. Uh, 
Yeah, and we and I have before. I have before. It's harder on the Zoom, so I try not to over overstress my guests. <laughs> <laughs> but wow, uh, really appreciate you having on, having you on. Um, of course, the book, the podcast, several other links will be in the show notes. Check it out. This has been. Were you still talking? This is Joel Albrecht, and my guest today has been Ricardo Mar- Martinez. I almost said that wrong, but I got it right, <laughs> I think. <laughs> he is a podcast host himself. Um, I Am 911 is the movement. Check out his podcast. Check out the book. And uh, thank you so much for listening. Once again, we will be back, I don't know, sometime. I know my podcast has been a little bit sketchy. but Oh, that's a, uh, before I uh, ask, my, ask my outro, how often do your podcasts go up? Uh, they come out weekly. Sometimes weekly, if there's a conference right. going on, there'll be like two or three that come out in one week, but weekly. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much once again. Uh, and as I always say, be good to each other. Uh, then you won't have to do as many 911 calls and be good to yourself. Thank you. <laughs>